The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to welcome everyone in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. So we are in the Gospel of Luke, a sermon series called The Spirit-Powered Gospel. And I want to begin today a little bit differently. I wanted to begin with a story but I'm not going to tell the story. Uh, I have a good friend, Seth Bouchel, that I'm going to call up in a minute. We were talking about the sermon, and he had a great story, and I thought, well, you're going to be sitting here. Why don't you come up and tell it? Seth is a church planter, a missionary in the Bronx, New York. He came down to do a treat for some students this weekend, and so I want to invite Seth up and just share with us a story. Thanks. Uh, so I know I don't look like I'm from the Bronx. Uh, <laughs> that is also evident to people from the Bronx. So when I, when I moved there, I definitely looked like gentrification, and I got stopped all the time, and people would always say, why are you here? Are you lost? Do you need help? Why are you here? And that didn't get easier when they found out that I'm in ministry. Uh, then it was like, oh, you're a minister. Why are you here with us? And, and normally, I, I know what that question's about because I've been doing ministry long enough and I've been in the Bronx now for years and I know that what motivates that question is generally not a lack of spiritual interest. It's a perception that you're in ministry, you're a church person, and regardless of whether or not I'm interested in Jesus, I couldn't possibly belong to whatever it is that you're here for. So why are you here with us? Now that's, my answer to that is typically I say, well, I think, you know, if Jesus were here today, he'd be sitting here with us. And the answer is always like, oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, But my favorite answer is the one that my friend June gave one time. He was, he'd taken me to a house that was kind of a trap house. Big-time drug dealer lived there. He introduced me. He says, this is my pastor. And everybody's like, why is he here with us? And he said, well, he's always telling me how Jesus loved, like, prostitutes and thieves, and so I figured he'd like you guys. <laughs> um... And, and that's very June. June is a mostly reformed gangbanger drug dealer. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. Uh, and I want to tell you the story about the first time I ever went out with June. Uh, before we were friends, before I knew him well, the first time he really invited me out. I met him through a bar in our neighborhood. He works at the auto shop next door. I knew his story, you know, a year later I'd be doing the memorial for his mother, who was, it turns out, a witch who ran the local drug cartel. Uh, but I didn't know that at the time, and, and so I've been trying to have spiritual conversations with June. I mentioned that this morning in the Bible class, and he said, after a while, you know, you're all right, uh, Pastor Seth, uh, which I don't like that title, but that's what he calls me. He said, you're all right, Pastor Seth, why don't you come out with some friends of mine? There is a new uh, Pitoro distillery, Pitoro's Puerto Rican moonshine. He said, there's a new Pitoro distillery they're building in the South Bronx. We're all going down this weekend to check it out. You want to come? I said, yeah. So June brings me out with his friends. It's him, his uncle Doc, who grew up with him through gangs and the drug trade in the South Bronx. Paul the Painter, nobody knows anybody's last name, so which Paul? Paul the Painter, and our friend Preppy Mike. Um, and so we all go down to the Vitoro Distillery, meet the guys, they're super nice, they kind of hook us up. Uh, we go to a taco truck, we get some tacos, and at the end of the night we come back to the brewery where I know all these guys from, and we're sitting down, and they're asking me about church, and we're talking through different parables and asking questions, having spiritual conversations. And at one point, Preppy Mike says, yeah, 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 that's all good, but you'll never see me in a church. Like, I appreciate what you do. No disrespect, Pastor Seth, but you'll never see me in a church. I said, oh, fair enough, Preppy Mike. I said, uh, 
But let me tell you what we do at the churches that, that I start. We sit around the table, we have a meal, and we talk about stories out of the Gospels and about Jesus. I generally just ask questions, and we just have a conversation about what this is supposed to teach us about God and how we're going to put this into practice and people we can share this with. I said, it's not very different than what we're doing tonight. He said, yeah, that sounds like what we're doing tonight. And, and Doc says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you telling me that if we, if we kept coming back here every weekend and doing what we're doing now, this would be church? And I said, well, I mean, I, I would add some things, but <laughs> I said, that's pretty much what we do at church. Yeah, it would be a lot like this. And there was a pause at the table and Preppy Mike said, yeah, I could go to a church like this. Uh, and everybody kind of nodded their head. And now, when I go to the neighborhood, if, if I go to June's house or if I go to the auto shop, most of the time, if somebody's sitting out on the stoop, they see me, they say, oh, hey, is it time for church? And a lot of times it's not. I'm just walking my dog. But I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll come inside. It's time for church. Because depending on their perspective, no, maybe they wouldn't ever, you'll never see them in a church, depending on what that means. But in the right context, yeah, they go to a church like that. Uh, Seth's story is okay and it works because Seth was only drinking with sinners, not eating and drinking with sinners. So the Pharisees would be okay with that. Also, he wasn't with tax collector Levi, he's with Preppy Mike. And who doesn't want to hang out with a guy named Preppy Mike, right? I'm even tax collector, I mean even Pharisees and the teachers of the law want to hang out with somebody, someone like Preppy Mike. Thanks, Seth. Jesus encounters a man named Levi. And it doesn't tell us much about Levi, not much at all. But it does tell us that he's a tax collector, and that's enough. Because when you say Levi's a tax collector, everybody knows what that means. First of all, everybody hates and despises tax collectors. Tax collectors are these guys that go around and not only collect taxes, who, who likes paying taxes, but he also takes some for himself. They were notoriously corrupt. They were notoriously uh, uh, taking people's money beyond what they legally owed. Nobody liked tax collectors. And the other thing they didn't like, what they despised about Levi as a tax collector, was not that he was just corrupt and took people's money. He worked for the Romans. He worked for the people that have come and occupied and, for all intents and purposes, enslaved us. These aren't our people. These are the Romans. And so, when Jesus calls Levi... It doesn't say much about their conversation. In fact, the only thing it says is that Jesus says, follow me. And it says that Levi followed Jesus. And it doesn't tell us very much about what that meant, but it does tell us one thing. The very next phrase is that he followed Jesus, and then he went, and he prepared a meal, and he invited Jesus, and he invited all his friends. 
And he didn't have any friends outside of tax collectors. So Jesus goes to Levi and says, follow me. That's all he says. And Levi, it says he followed him, and what that looked like, like was that he went back to his house, and he prepared a meal, and he invited Jesus, and he invited all of his sinner friends who were tax collectors. That's all the text tells us. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come along, and they kind of corner Jesus' disciples. And they have a question for Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's what they want to know. We read earlier a story about the leper in chapter 5, verse 12. That Jesus gets into town and there's a, a leper begging his face to the ground and he's begging. He says, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hands and touched the leper and says, I'm willing and be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Touching a leper can make one unclean. Touching a leper can make you sick. And if you're contaminated by, a, by touching a leper, it has social implications for you because once you're contaminated by leprosy, you can no longer be a part of the group that you were a part of because you might infect everybody else. So lepers were sent to be together. I've told this story before, but the only time in my life where I've encountered lepers was in Uganda. And I was walking through the village with a bunch of other Christians, and we were walking together, and we were just kind of going hut to hut and greeting people, which doesn't sound very exciting, but that is the most exciting thing for Ugandan is to go around and greet other people. So we were doing that. And we walk upon uh, a couple, an older couple, and they were sitting outside on a mat outside their mud hut. And as I walked up, I noticed there was something strange about them. They were missing body parts, fingers, ears, parts of their face. And the custom is when you go up to greet somebody, you go up and shake hands. None of my Ugandan friends shook hands. They kept their distance. And they greeted from a distance, and we got talking, and they started revealing that they had had leprosy. But they assured us they had been cured. And so we keep chatting about this. And because one of these things does not look like the other, me, I'm the only one in the crowd, the only white-skinned person there. They wanted to greet me, not just this way. They wanted to shake my hand. There's two things that I know about leprosy. And those two things I know from the Bible. One, you do not touch lepers. And two, Jesus touched lepers. I was totally screwed. And don't think that I'm brave by telling this story because I was petrified and I literally said, what would Jesus do? And with lots of fear and trepidation, I just went and I shook both of their hands, thinking that my Ugandan Brothers and sisters would follow suit, and I shook their hands and backed up, 
and nobody else followed me. So I'm walking along the road and I'm talking to my dear friend Ida Bazunana. And I say, Ida, I have to confess I'm, I'm really scared. He goes, why are you scared? He says, I know they told me they don't have leprosy anymore. But how do I know that? Like, how do I know they don't have leprosy? And Ida says to me, she's, that's why I didn't touch them. <laughs> Thanks, Ida. Appreciate that. I said, Ida, I know they said they're cured. But this may mean something. Like, what if I can't touch my kids anymore? What if I can't touch my wife and be around my family? Even today, and part of it's my own ignorance, but I had these great fears. Because not just about receiving this contagious disease, but what it meant for me socially. When Jesus encounters the tax collector and the sinner, in this story, while they're not physically contagious, these people are outside the boundary. And the Pharisees are saying, if you sit with those people, there's some social, there's a purity boundary there, and there's some social contamination that if you choose to sit with them, you can't sit with us. Those aren't God's people those tax collectors and sinners. If you sit with them, you're outside the boundary. And Jesus responds this way. He says that not to eat with tax collectors and sinners, it's like being a doctor who won't go see patients. He says to not go and eat and sit and eat and drink with sinners and tax collectors. It's like being a hospital that doesn't welcome in the sick. For Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And these are the people who should be coming to Jesus. I didn't come, from the hel I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick, Jesus said. And he goes on to say, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the Pharisees take note of this as well, this phrase, I think. I haven't come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners to repentance. And they're like, ah, repentance. They're trying to get them on the question of why are you sitting there because those aren't God's people. And his response he lets something else out that they're going to use. He says, I didn't come for the righteous. I call, came to call sinners to repentance. They say, ah, repentance. Speaking of repentance, you remember John the Baptist who called people to repentance? That was the baptism of repentance. He says in verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fasted and prayed. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking, Jesus. 
Remember John? Remember John who called people to repentance? And here's what repentance looks like. Fasting and praying. Your disciples, and notice who he's calling his disciples now. Who are the ones eating and drinking? The tax collectors and the sinners. Your disciples, remember Jesus said, follow me. And the only thing they did, they didn't say they did anything else. The only thing they did is he just went through a party, invited all his friends, invited Jesus. That's what he did. And so, John's disciples fast and pray. That's what discipleship looks like. Your disciples, those tax collectors and sinners, not only do they not fast and pray, they do the exact opposite. They eat and drink. That didn't look like repentance to us. Jesus, are you sure you know what you're doing? In other words, they're insulting Jesus a little bit. They're challenging him, and they're challenging his authority, and they're what they're, basically what they're saying is this, we are the authority on matters of repentance. We are the authority on the one who gets in and who's out. What's interesting, this is not the first time in Luke or even in this chapter that the Pharisees have challenged Jesus on authority. If you go back to verse 17, it says that on one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there and they had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was on Jesus to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay, hands, to, to lay him in, before Jesus. When they could not find a way in, they went up on the roof. And they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins except for God alone? But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he turned to the paralyzed man and he said to him, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And immediately the man stood up. And he took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they have a serious problem with Jesus. They have a problem because Jesus assumes authority to forgive sins. This is blasphemous because only God has authority to do this. But Jesus one-ups them in this game. Where the disciples are probably sitting back going, yeah. He one-ups them, ups them on their challenge by saying, which is easier? To say to this guy, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. 
We all know that. But then he turns to the man and he says, get up. And the paralyzed man gets up. And it is clear that Jesus is the one with authority. And so in our text, in the story today, Jesus reveals his authority in two stories. He doesn't do a healing. He just has two stories. Verse 34, he begins by saying, Jesus answered them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? By the time, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. He said, no one tears out a piece of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn a new garment. And the, patch will, the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. And the wine will run out all over the place. And the wineskins will be ruined. And the wine will be ruined. No, new wine must be put in new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants new wine. The old is better. That's what we want. He says, God is doing such a new thing because he came for tax collectors and sinners. He came for the sick. He came to call sinners to repentance. He says, the only response to this is like the friends of the bride, the friends of the bridegroom. You don't ask those people to pray. You ask them to celebrate. Because when Jesus comes and in Luke 4 when bread preached to set the captives free, the only appropriate response to captives going free is eating and drinking and celebrating. Fasting and praying may come one day, but the only response to the oppressed going free is eating and drinking. And you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Because as the wine ferments and expands, you want the, the, the wineskin to expand with it. But an old wineskin has already expanded far enough. And as it expands, it'll just break that skin open. And the skin will be done. And then wine will be all over the ground. There's a theory and in sociology theory about bounded sets and centered sets. We got a picture up here. Bounded sets aren't necessarily a bad thing. Boundaries aren't a bad thing. In fact, even in the parable, when Jesus talks about pouring new wine into new wineskins, right? It's the wineskins that provide a boundary. Otherwise, the wine just goes everywhere. It's chaos. There's something good about boundaries. For example, in relationships, I can be friends with other people and I can be friends with other women who are not my wife, but there are good boundaries that I need to keep in order for the relationship between my wife and I not to disintegrate and spill all over the ground and be chaos. So there are such good things as good boundaries. But the negative part about boundaries is this is that bounded set people tend to focus on the boundary and not the center. So in a people group, 
boundaries are what identifies us. Like you're in our group, right? You're in our boundary. You do these things, you act this way, you're in our boundary. But if, let's say the boundary is right here at the stage, and John's there. So in order to be in the group, I make sure I'm in the boundary. And then the way I look at everybody else is, are they in the boundary or are they outside the boundary? Where's the center in this diagram for me? It's back there, right? So the boundary's here, and I'm looking to make sure I'm in the boundary, and I'm evaluating all of you based on, are you in the boundary or are you not in the boundary? Right? This is how people groups work often. But what am I not looking at? I'm not looking at the center. I tend to be focused on the boundary. But centered sets, you go to the next slide, center sets aren't focused on the boundary. Boundaries may be important on some level, but they're not focused on the boundary. What they're focused on is the center. And so center set-minded people don't evaluate themselves or others based on where they stand in relationship to the boundary, they evaluate themselves and others based on where they stand in proximity to the center. Do you see the difference? So center set people look to the center and they evaluate everybody else based on their relationship to the center. So it's not really a question, a game about who's in, who's out. It's just a, a question of where are you in relationship to the center? So the Pharisees in our story are standing at a boundary. And they're the old wineskins wanting the sinners to fit into their wineskin. And tax collectors and sinners, all they really need is new wineskins. They need places where they can grow. They need places and people that will allow them to grow more close to the center. Remember our story about Preppy Mike? Who can forget a name like Preppy Mike? It's not that Preppy Mike is not interested in Jesus. Preppy Mike, as it turns out from Seth's story, is actually interested in Jesus, even though he's maybe in a gang or he's a drug dealer or his life looks nothing like Jesus. He's actually interested in Jesus. It's not that Preppy Mike isn't interested in Jesus. It's that he doesn't think that he can belong to a community like a church. The boundary for most people is not Jesus. The boundary that keeps people from becoming Christians most of the time is not Jesus. There are people that aren't interested in Jesus. But there are tons of people that don't look like or act like you and I who are way interested in Jesus. And the boundary for them to jump over that they just can't get past is not Jesus and what he says but the boundary for most people is they don't think they can belong to a certain kind of people I think that's more true than we can ever imagine 
So here's our question today. This is the question for all of us. The Pharisees stand at the boundary. And the problem is, to the tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees are the boundary. It's not fasting and praying. The Pharisees are the boundary. And they're so busy looking at the boundaries, they don't know that where Jesus is sitting. And Jesus is calling them. He says, you should be come over here and sit by me. Why aren't you sitting with tax collectors and sinners? Why aren't you sitting with Preppy Mike? That's the question. And our question is this. Can we be the kind of church? Can we be the kind of people that people who would be attracted to Jesus don't see? They don't see us as a boundary to get to the center. You hear that? That's your question. That's my question. Can I be the kind of person? Can you be the kind of people? Can we be the kind of people that aren't the boundary that keeps people from getting to the center? Because people are interested in Jesus. But why don't they think they can be a part of us? That's our call today. Will you come eat with Jesus? Sit where he sits. Engage with who he engages with. Seth sat with Preppy Mike at a bar. And he found himself in a community called the church. Let's stand and sing.